and those songs pointed out attributes of that and it's good that we were here today and are here thank you for the scripture reading brother drones good to see you back i know you've been sick for quite some time and it's good to hear your voice this morning it's good to see these men waiting on the table it's good to be here with you today and i'm glad to be here well i'm not for those of you and we do have visitors with us and we're glad you're here too i'm not the pulpit minister i'm one of the elders here and our pulpit minister called me yesterday so the ink on some of my pages may not be dry but he called me yesterday and said that he was uh taken with a bad cold and I know brother Laws and he had to be sick to do that and I know he misses not being here today very dedicated to what he does and wish him the very best his wife has been sick as well and there's a lot of sickness going around I understand that they've closed some area of schools and stuff uh, not far from here because of a lot of the sickness and it's 50 degrees one day and 80 the next, and it, it has an effect on us all. I even have a little something in my throat, but I'm, I'm better, and I'm, I'm happy. I was telling the class this morning, I got that phone call yesterday, and I had plans for Saturday like everyone else. I thought, well, boy, my plans have changed, but I spent the whole day in God's Word, studying and preparing for the class this morning, preparing for this lesson today, and for the lesson this evening, God willing, and what a pleasure it was to be afforded the time to study God's Word all day. And I know we're doing, a, a, we've challenged the congregation to read the Bible in a year, and, you know, that's a, a way down the road on our reading, and uh, I've heard from so many of you, and uh, people have even called me and texted me and asked me questions about this scripture and that scripture, and that's wonderful, isn't it, that people are reading God's Word and growing therein. And uh, what a pleasure it is. Well, Brother Drawn read their scripture reading this morning, and if you will uh, look in Matthew 3, we'll read those first six verses there. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken uh, by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, and now John himself was clothed in camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Our scripture reading that was read this morning takes place after this, after these events with John happened. That is our scripture reading take place after this. And if you look in verse 17 of chapter 4, after these things, it says, From that time, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John had gone forth. He, had got, he was uh, the Elijah in the spirit. And in the spirit of Elijah, he came and he prepared the people for the coming Savior of the world, the Messiah. And he had gone out and he had preached to them. And it talks about the description of how he looked. He, he wore a camel skin and he, or camel hair coat and he wore a leather belt and his food was wild locust and wild honey. And we, if we know anything about John, we know he was a Nazarite. He would have had long hair and a beard and he would have really looked the part of a prophet of old. And he would have been recognized as a prophet of old because he was a prophet. He was a, and his purpose on being born and coming unto the earth was for this moment to prepare the people for Christ. Christ was coming and they had sins in their lives and they had things in their lives that they needed to correct. 
And that was his job. He was a preparer. And it said that they did. And look at the region. All of Jerusalem, Judea, and the whole region came to John beyond the Jordan. And there they were baptized by him in preparation for this kingdom of God to come. John's work is done. The people have been prepared for the kingdom. They've confessed their sins, and they've been baptized. They're coming now contrite before their Lord, seeking his, his healing of their infirmities in his life-changing instruction. They once felt outside the kingdom of God. They once felt uh, disenfranchised in the kingdom of God, but now they're in good standing because of the things they've heard, their obedience to it, how they did it, and they're in good standing with God, their creator. What once seemed very futile and impossible for them is now realized that they are recipients of God's favor and can be citizens in his glorious kingdom. And they're blessed and they're happy because of this fact. They've been transformed into this kingdom. You know, this is in the, the next three chapters, Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, some, some commentators will call it Jesus' inaugural address, his first address, his uh, coming out address to, to uh, address his, uh, his, uh, um, his children of the kingdom. And so we're going to have this. And there probably is no greater sermons. There's probably no greater teachings. There's probably no better um, uh, exaltation in the Bible than the Sermon on the Mount. It's certainly for them, it, they had to change their uh, thinking. They had thought one way, and after he taught them on the, these, uh, the contents of these three chapters, they would change their thinking. For us, too, perhaps, if we weren't uh, raised listening to God's word, if we came into God's word as an adult, there would no doubt be some changes that we would have to make, too, because uh, the Sermon on the Mount teaches us very quickly that we have to go against what human nature would have us be. We have to be better than our own nature of who we are. And so he's going to start this out. He sees uh, in verse 5, I mean, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Think about a, uh, maybe an amphitheater or a slight rise where he could sit above the crowd. He could sit down and be eye level or slightly above them and in a, in a, 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 a venue where they could hear him and hear him well. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying. And what we're going to look at this morning is five of what we call the Beatitudes. They're blessings. They're happy statements. There's nine, and uh, Lord willing, we will go through five this morning and then four this evening. And we will look at these uh, blessings that are mentioned here. And he's going to address them at who they are and what they can be blessed for. You know, um, Gail mentioned this morning before class started, he, he talked about how beautiful the roadsides are. Have you noticed the wildflowers, how just gorgeous they are? And uh, look at that sunshine pouring through the, uh, the windows. It is a glorious day. It's a beautiful day. But it's the Lord's Day, too. And we're so blessed. What an honor to be able to come here this morning and to worship God. You know, and it's always been that way for God's people. But it is for us. And we're living probably in the best times as far as uh, we're not troubled. You know, I, I watched a special two weeks ago on, uh, on the Discovery Channel or Nova or one of those, and I was just shocked at the first two or three centuries how the Christians suffered. He came in cycles. It, you'd have an emperor there, and, and he really uh, he hated Christians, 
and he wanted them destroyed. And they fed them to, to wild beasts, and they, they tied them up, and they burned them at the stake, and they mocked them, and they scoffed at them, and their life meant nothing. And then there would be a season of refreshing. You might have a, uh, an emperor that didn't, quilt, didn't feel quite that way. But then something would come along to even during his reign where he would get it in for Christians, and once again, thousands, thousands would uh, be slaughtered. And, I, and it piqued my interest, and I've gone since then and read some of the accounts. And some of those people, they faltered. They would, uh, they would betray Christ, and they would uh, sacrifice to the emperor, only to repent from it later on and go back in there and say, no, I do believe in Christ, and I'll stand for it. And they died too, just like the rest of them. But none of us are faced with that, are we? And I, I, don't, want to, I don't want us to be, uh, I, I don't want us to miss that, that uh, we're drinking out of wells we didn't dig. And we're experiencing wonderful things that other people paid for with their life. And so he's, he's going to point out some things that, uh, that they ought to be happy about. How happy are we today? You know, there's a lot of sorrow in life. There's a lot of bad things. But we're blessed beyond any people of this world. And there's so many things to be happy about. And, you know, you hear that more and more now. You'll, you'll see someone you had not seen in a while say, how are you doing this? I'm very blessed. I hope they mean that. I hope that's not just some uh, jargon and some phrase that we use because we truly are very blessed. And we're very blessed today to be here and to study God's Word. Well, we looked at the things that had been going on and what had transpired. John is, is out of the way. He had, his work is complete. He prepared the people for the Messiah to come. And now the Messiah is here, and he's going to address some things that were no doubt uh, dear to their heart and dear to ours too. And we're going to start off with the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Well, I want to take this time on this first one to go over this, and then we won't go over it again with the other nine or the other eight. But let's look at that blessed understood. It's understood as happy. So happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I always use these words synonymously. Blessed and happiness. Uh, they're blessed or they're happy because uh, the change has come from the realization that in and of ourselves, regardless of our earthly status, we're powerless over our lives and nature to achieve our greatest good and desire. We can't do it. We cannot achieve our greatest good, our greatest desire in and of ourselves. We need help. But now, through a contrite attitude and repentance of evil thoughts and deeds, these people were coming to Christ. They've had a... Uh, do you know what it's like to feel disenfranchised, to feel like you were out of something, that you wanted to be in, you wanted to be there, you wanted to be a part of that, but you couldn't be? These people had been taught all this time by corrupt teachers, teachers that had their own agendas in, in mind, their own uh, happiness, their own desires, and the people were just uh, fodder, and they felt like it too. But here now, the common man could come and have a relationship with the Savior of the world and to have his sins forgiven. And they came contrite because they had come to John and confessed all their sins and had repented of those things and had been baptized and been prepared. And here they're coming now to their master to be taught of him. And he said, you're happy, you're blessed, that you're poor in spirit because eternity, uh, because of the hope now and eternal, because it was in his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Well, we think about poor, and it's spelled P-O-O-R, poor, poor in spirit. We always think usually in uh, terms of 
lack of wealth or not having enough to self-sustain. And in many of their cases, that might have been the case. They might have been physically poor, but that's not what he's speaking of. He's talking about those that have been poor spiritually, those that have been cut out and left out. And he said, but no more. Because of their obedience, they had entered where the religious elite would never enter. And because they had repented and confessed and obeyed. In Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, we read, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes to all I possess, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and and he who humbles himself will be exhausted. Exalted, Poor in spirit, in this case, would mean uh, the humble, one who had humility. This one man, a tax collector, he wouldn't even look up. He knew who he was. He knew the shortcomings that he had. And uh, he just beat his breast and, and, and prayed that God would forgive him, a sinner. He had the right attitude. He had a contrite heart. He was not deceived by who he was. And this other man, a Pharisee, he took, uh, he prayed into himself, thinking about himself, all his good qualities. You know, I do this, and I do that, and I do that, and I'm really thankful that I'm not like him. Such arrogance, such haughtiness. But he said, the Lord said, you that are poor in spirit, uh, happy are you, blessed are you, because you're in the kingdom of God. The second one there we read is happy, blessed, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, it seems like a paradox, doesn't it, to be happy in mourning, happy when we mourn. But that's exactly what it means. We're instructed to do so, too. In Romans 12, verse 15, there it says to rejoice. With those that rejoice. And we can do that. I hope we can do that. We ought to be able to. We shouldn't have jealousies and envies to the point that if some good fortune happens to someone, we ought to be happy for them. We ought to rejoice with them. But it's the second part, the B part, I want to look at this morning. It says, and to grieve or to mourn with those that mourn. You know, and I I mentioned this not many weeks ago in a sermon or class. When you mourn with someone, when you go to their home, they come to yours. They've had some tragedy befall them. And you go to them and they look in your face. And your tears are genuine and theirs are too. And they hurt and they're your brethren. They're created in the image of God just like you are. And when you can hold their hands and weep with them and truly feel their sorrow too, that's powerful. You know how powerful that is? You be on the other end of it and you'll see how powerful it is. When you're hurting with all your might, And some good brother or sister, some great friend comes to you and they comfort you. You'll see the power of it. You can do that too. 
and, you, and blessed are you when you do do it. You're fulfilling God's word. And we've had an example of it. One of the greatest examples of all was in John eleven thirty five, where Jesus wept with those two sisters. Their brother had died, and they were weeping, and those around him were weeping, and Jesus wept with her. And to uh, substantiate what I'm saying, those Jews that were set back watching this, you know what they said of that occasion? Oh, how he loved them. They could see it in his tears. And what's amazing about that story is what would Jesus shortly do? Probably within the hour, he'd raise that man from the grave. So it seemed like to us there had been no need of those tears, but there were need of those tears. We need to show compassion. We only go around this, this way one time. And it's, it's our time to show others that we love them and that we care. And it's God-like to do so. We have an example from the Son of God to weep with those that weep. 2 Corinthians 7.10 tells us that godly sorrow leads to repentance. We should, uh, we should, um, should weep over our sin. We should weep over our sin. We should weep, and I'm sure we have. Sure we have. Um, we should and do uh, mourn for the world which lies in the darkness of sin. We mourn for the loved ones that are uh, outside of Christ. And you know... This is powerful too. You no doubt if you're a Christian. You no doubt if you're a Christian and you are banking on the promise of heaven. Then you understand the alternative to heaven is hell. And that if we're not saved then we're lost. There's no middle ground. There's one or the other. And we all have loved ones that are not faithful. We all have people that we hold very dear to us. That... uh, they don't seem to care about God's word. And um, we shouldn't be flipping about that. Let them know. You know what? Let them know. That probably one of the worst things we do is put up a facade that someone who knows the truth and they've rejected it. Someone that knows to do right and they do it not. And we, uh, we dance between the raindrops. We don't address it with them. Or no, but, but we love them. We love them like we do a mother or a brother or a sister or ourselves, yet we never address to them. You know, how powerful would it be if you called that person that you may have in mind, in your mind, and you're talking to them today like you did last week? But the difference between last week and this week is sometime during the conversation you stop and you tell them, I've been disturbed about you this week. I've thought about you. I've, I've wept for you because I don't think with your actions and your words that you take the coming of Christ serious. One day this will all end and we will have to give an account of our lives. And I've wept for you and I do weep for you because I love you very much. Blessed are those who mourn. And it says that they shall be comforted. Revelation 21.4 says, And God shall wipe away every tear from the eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. But that's then. Right now, there's time for tears. There's time for mourning, because maybe in doing so, you could let someone know how much their love and how concerned you are. And blessed are you when you do mourn for those. But keep this in mind. The reward is this. We will be comforted. 
Well, when we get to verse 5 of, of chapter 5, we see, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's some things that we want to look there. The biblical meaning for the meek are those who have a spirit of gentleness and self-control. They're free from malice and a condescending spirit. It's opposite from being haughty or arrogant or proud. We have one of the greatest examples there is. And oh, how I've thought about this man and what he must have gone through in his life. But in Numbers 12, verse 3, God said this about this man. God said this about his servant Moses. He said, now Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. You know, I'm not God, of course. And if I were to put together the lawgiver, the savior of the Israelite people, I wouldn't have chosen a man like that, would you? Let's say, what kind of man do I want? I want one that's more humble than all other men. I would think, no, he'll be, uh, he'll be consumed. He'll be eaten alive. Someone that's meek and humble like that. No, I, what I want is someone who's bold and someone who is forceful and arrogant and, and on top of things. But that's not what God chose, is it? He chose a very, very humble man. No man was like him on the earth in that respect. But there's things about his credentials that wouldn't lead you to think so. Let's look at some things. Acts under inspiration and near death. Stephen is preaching, and he's preaching to the, uh, the elite, the religious corrupt elite of that day, and he speaks of Moses. He said, Moses was learned, Acts seven twenty two. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the, Egypt, uh, of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. See, he was mighty. He was mighty in words and in deeds, but the nature of him was a very humble man. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 11 in that great chapter of faith speaks of Moses. He says, by faith, uh, Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26, by faith, Moses, when he became, the, uh, became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked for the reward. You know what that tells us? He was a prince of Egypt. He was raised in the Pharaoh's daughter's home. Uh, He was uh, treated, educated, and brought up just like a prince of Egypt. He had the wealth, a world power, the world power at the time. He had all the wealth of Egypt coming to him. All the inheritance that goes with being a prince of Egypt. What did he count it? Compared to the uh, riches of Christ, he counted it for nothing. He turned away. He had every reason to, uh, to want that life. He had every reason because it would have been a life of privilege, a life of indulgence, a life of um, man-made esteem and recognition. But he chose rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy that for a season. Keep this in mind. What the world wants you to go after and what the world seeks and what it understands is seasonal. It is very seasonal. Whatever uh, crops you had last year in your garden, they're not there this year, are they? Because that season came and went, didn't it? And the season of our life is short, too. And a lot of people will trade it all in 
Everything about eternity, everything about their reward, everything about the hope of the future, they turn it in for these few miserable days that we have on this earth. And it's a bad trade. It's a real, real bad trade. But blessed are the meek, that they will inherit the earth. Well then, that's always been problematic, the inheritance of the earth. And I know you're probably thinking that too. 2 Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So how do you inherit the earth then? Well, no one's going to inherit the earth in that respect. Not the good nor the wicked, because it will cease to exist. That's not the intention here. This is a quote from Psalms 37, verses 9 through 11. The scripture quoted, that's the scripture that's quoted here in Matthew 5. For evildoers, and this is the quote from Psalms 37, 9 through 11. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, and they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. That's worth much more. The meek and favor will inherit the things of the earth. The wicked will not. The things of the earth that we could inherit, that God would want us to inherit, they'll never inherit because of their mindset. Uh, But we can, if we understand what is meant here. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Of course, these things are found in Galatians 5 as fruits of the Spirit. But these are the things of the earth that we could inherit if we would. The world will never understand those things. They don't desire them. They don't understand them. They wouldn't want them. But we can. And that part of the earth we can inherit until the day we're called home. But we've got to be meek to do so. And happier you. Blessed are you if you find yourself a meek person. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those. And this is one of my favorite. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Happy are you if you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Well, hunger and thirst, in an earthly sense, are pangs that people and Animals alike feel, don't they? And unaddressed, uh, neglected, and not taken care of, death will occur because of it. If you're so hungry and you're so thirsty and you have no satisfaction, where does it lead? Well, it leads to starvation, doesn't it? It leads to death. And, uh, (coughs) excuse me, in our spiritual hunger and thirst, if it's not addressed, if we're not interested in knowing God's will, It leads to death, too. It leads to spiritual death. But if we hunger and thirst after it, um, we can find it. And that righteousness is found in his son. Jesus gives a perfect application for this. And if you'll turn with me to Matthew 7, we'll look at verses 7 and 8. This is the answer to the hunger and thirst situation of righteousness. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find. Knock. And it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and whoever seeks finds, and whoever knocks, the door is open to them. Do you believe that? Because I'm going to tell you something. I do believe it, and I put it to the test, and you can too. And I have put this challenge out many times. I've yet to have a, uh, a taker. But you seek, and you ask, and you knock of this word, truly, and you see if you don't find. I've never had anyone said, come up to me and say, you know, you said that a year ago, and since that time I've, I've asked, and I've seek, and I've knocked all through these scriptures, and I'm, uh, I'm uh, more confused than I was then. Never. Never is the case. Those are all action words, too. Those are all things, you know, the, uh, when you get to Hebrews 11, a great book of faith. All that faith moved those people to do something. You can go and read every one of those people that are mentioned in that. They were normal people like us, but they became extraordinary because of the effort and the diligence that they put in establishing their faith or finding their faith. Here, he says to ask and seek and to knock, and it will come to you. In John 5, 24 and 26, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and, not, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. You can be filled. If you wish to. Notice what he says. The dead will hear. How can the dead hear? Well what's he talking about? He's talking about spiritually dead. How can the dead hear? The dead in their sins. Those that are outside of Christ. Can now hear this life saving word. Hearing and doing and believing. And they'll come into life. They can be saved. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they will be filled. And then lastly for this morning, let's look at this. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, in this life, in day-to-day events, things that happen to you at work, things that happen to you uh, on the street with your cars, uh, dealing with other cars and stuff, well, there's, there's upheavals that come about in life. There's... Uh, Criminal activity that comes out. There's civil activities that come on. Uh, people have wrecks and people, uh, you go to the bank and they've taken more money out of your account than they should. Or uh, they withdrew money from you and they penalize you because uh, of their mistake. What we want in this life is justice, right? We want justice. You know, if something's unjust that's happened to us, we want it rectified. We want it corrected. We want justice. But in this next life, because of who we are and because of our uh, imperfectness and because of our sin and because of our shortcomings. You know, there's none righteous, no, not one. and All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Justice is not what we want, is it? What do we want? We want mercy. We need mercy. We're going to have to have God's mercy because our deeds in and of itself won't get it, will it? Because we have too many shortcomings. But blessed are the merciful. Because they will obtain mercy. 
you know, there's a story about mercy in the Bible. And let's look at it. In Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, it says, For if you, get, if you forgive men their trespasses, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their, transpass, their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. Well, we've all been wronged, hadn't we? There's not a person in here. If I said, well, show your hands if you've been wronged. Everybody, they'd be honest, could raise their hands and say, I've been wronged. But with the same honesty, if I said, all right, you raised this hand, you've been wronged. That's pretty much everybody. Yep. Raise your hand if you've done wrong. The other hand would go up too, wouldn't it? We've all betrayed and we've all been betrayed. We've all been wrong. We've all done wrong. And what we need is mercy. So what he says is it's reciprocal. Do you want mercy? Do you need mercy? Unequivocally, the answer is yes. Then you give it. Can you give it? Well, I don't know. That was pretty bad what they did to me. Really? Our sins put his son on a cross. You know, and we looked at a passage earlier. This earth is going to be burned up with a fervent heat. And it's going to be... No more. In the heavens too. What are you going to let on this earth which is going to dissolve, which is going to be burned up, which is going to go away? What element on this earth of wrongness that's happened to you that you're going to hold on to through eternity to the point that you let it cost your soul? I got the answer for me. Nothing. Nothing that's going to burn up in this earth. Nothing that's not going to last. Am I going to hang on to it and let it jeopardize my obtaining mercy? Be merciful because you want mercy. You need mercy. Be merciful. You know, oftentimes we focus, oh, how we can get focused on that speck in their eye. But we're forgetting about the plank in ours, aren't we? And we got them. We have planks in our eyes at times. Well, that's the lesson this morning. I'd like to just quickly go over the things we talked about. Poor in the spirit. Be humble. <clears throat> be contrite, and most of all, be obedient to God's word, and be happy knowing that you are <clears throat> forgiven. Those that mourn, have a heart, <clears throat> and be tender, <clears throat> excuse me, and be tender toward those, and you will, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Mourn with those that mourn. Have a heart. Be compassionate. Because that mourning is going to be turned into happiness. One one fine day. Be meek. Not arrogant or haughty. Enjoy peace and tranquility. And all the fruits of the spirits that are offered on this earth. That the world will never understand. But it's yours. And we can have it. That part of the earth we can inherit. Hunger and thirst after God's instruction. And in doing so, be filled. This word is full of wonderful things that you can abide in. And you can know the truth. And Jesus said that truth is liberating. Once you know the truth and you obey the truth, it sets us free. And if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Be merciful. Or hunger and thirst after God's instruction and you can be filled. Be merciful toward mankind, thus obtaining mercy from your Father. Well, if we're Christians this morning, we've done those things. 
And this is uh, just a, a lesson to exalt the, the wonderful idea of how wonderful it is to be a Christian, how blessed, how happy we can be in doing so. This was his first, one of his first sermons to the people to show them that they had come out of a, come out of a world with no hope into a world that has eternal hope. But if you're not a Christian this morning, you need to be because all these attributes can come your way. In uh, Luke 13 and 3, we're called all men to repent. Paul would tell those men, those philosophers on Mars Hills in Acts 17, 30, in times of ignorance, God winked, but now he calls all men everywhere to repent. We must repent. These people that were coming and listening to these wonderful beatitudes about how blessed and happy we were, they had done that. They had repented of their sins. They had confessed them and repented them, and they were baptized. In Matthew 10, verse 32, Jesus talks to them, and this sure makes sense to us. It has to. It's reciprocal also. He said, if you, he's speaking to us and those, those that would be Christians, if you'll confess my name before men, I'll confess your name before my Father, which is in heaven. But if you won't confess my name before men, I won't confess your name before your Father. As a Christian, as we leave this building today, we'll have a week, if God gives it to us, to go to our jobs and work We'll have friends, and we'll have our daughters and our sons and our uh, grandchildren, our friends to talk to. And during that week, wouldn't it be horrible if you never mentioned Christ? The center of your life. He is what makes uh, our lives worth living. And they go all week and talk to you, and you never mention his name. Maybe that's what it's meant there, too. Will you confess his name before men? If you do, he says this with a promise. I'll confess your name before my Father which is in heaven. But if you don't, I won't either. And then he says that we need to be baptized. We need to die to sin. And uh, Romans uh, 6, 1 through uh, 4, or 4 through 6 there, talks about how that we put off this old man, this old man that used to sin and have really no regard for God. We put him away. We don't think like that anymore. We change our thinking. We're not the person that thinks that anymore. We die to that. That's behind us. That's in the past. And we recognize that we need to die to it. And there's a symbolic death and burial there where you're buried in water, like being buried in the dirt. And you rise up out of that water, a new creation. No longer the person that went in, but a changed person that came out. And in doing so, we bring glory to God. You can be a Christian today if you're not. And if you are a Christian, blessed are we because we've seen a different way, an eternal way into his kingdom. If you're subject this morning to the gospel call, we stand ready and willing to help you in any way as we stand and sing.